0: Please turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. We are going to be looking at right thinking, that's what I'm subtitling this one, rich or poor, <laughs> and uh, to help us in this section, this, this section uh, actually includes verses 9 through 11. And uh, it's probably one of those sections, I I was almost going to skip it, uh, because I was going to leave it for Bible college, you know, (laughs) okay? And uh, the more I prayed over it, and the more I looked at it, you know, God's wisdom is for everyone. Um, And I think the problem that we face sometimes is we don't know how to apply it in our lives. Um, And so I I really, uh, that's the challenge. Uh, And um, I believe that this is the right time for this message, and uh, you'll know when we get to the end as well. I have not mentioned any of this to Pastor Verity, uh, so we're not you know, colluding or anything. What she has to say to you today uh, is what God has put on her heart to say, yeah. uh, and what I'm saying to you today is what God has put on my heart to say, yeah. and so <laughs> you might say, What does all this have to... Well, you'll know. <laughs> all right. To help us in this section and get going, uh, Douglas J. Moo writes, he says, First, God has a particular concern for the poor, the, dr- the downtrodden, the outcast. God is a father to the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner or the stranger, giving him or her food and clothing. Now that's in Deuteronomy 10.18. So also James claims that God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. That's in James 2:5. I want to stop there for a minute because I want to ask the question, you know, cuz I was looking at that and I was thinking, Lord, why? Why did James write for God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Well, what does rich faith do? It doesn't keep you poor. <laughs> okay. Rich faith. Jesus in Mark 9:23 said that if you can believe all things are possible. Rich faith also looks at Philippians 4:19, but my God shall supply. He won't leave me this way. Just cuz I was poor when I got saved doesn't mean I stay poor after that. See, this is what we're going to talk about today. Your mentality You know, a lot of people are poverty-minded without even realizing it. And I'm talking about people that have money. You know, you go through a struggle and suddenly you want to hang on to everything. So we're going to talk about that. Yes, this verse is for you. All right? (laughs) So, (laughs) let's continue. (laughs) Second, God's people must imitate God by showing a similar concern for the poor and disadvantaged. The Deuteronomy passage quoted continues, and you are to love those who are foreigners or strangers, for yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. The prophets, that's in Deuteronomy 10 19, by the way, the prophets regularly denounced Israel for failing to obey this aspect of God's law. That's in Amos 2 and verses 6 and 7. James likewise makes care of orphans and widows one of the key elements of pure and faultless religion. Now, I need you to understand something. In those times, they didn't have welfare. Okay? Uh, I mean, if, if, the, if the person that was earning money died, that was it. You were in big trouble. Uh, and that's the reason why when the church came along, they decided to take care of those people that couldn't look after themselves. Now, that doesn't mean every widow needs help. Because some widows are really smart, okay? And uh, have you ever seen the Proverbs 31 woman? The one that makes every, every woman nervous? And every man? I won't say what, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, she, it, so it doesn't mean that, you know, just because they're a widow, as soon as we identify a widow, oh, we got to support you, no, no, no. Some widows support everybody else. Jesus had some interesting people looking after him. All right, I won't go into those details today. Now, from all of this, it is more than obvious that God takes a very dim view, listen, of wealthy tyrants, all right? So this is where the problem is. We're going to see that what James is talking about are people who have money that are are, uh, covetous. You know, they hoard their money. They don't want anybody else to share in, in whatever they have. And it's, you know, and it's not that... Uh, God ever asks you to give everything away, people think that because of what God said to the rich young ruler. But you, do you understand that whatever you sow, you reap? He was, he was going to show this rich young ruler how to become more wealthy than he could ever imagine. Listen to me. When he said, give everything away, what happens, what does the Bible say? What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Give and you won't have nothing left. is what everybody thinks is what everybody preaches. No, he said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, press down, shake it together, running over was coming back to that rich young ruler. Had he done what Jesus said? Are you all with me? And so you know you really need to be careful, because can I just say this? What is the problem with Christians having finances? It means that the devil doesn't have them. See, the church world has been infiltrated by a demonic doctrine that says that we are not to have money. Because the devil is trying to keep it all to himself. Are you all with me? And we need to understand that the, the only problem that the Bible or God has with people in His kingdom having wealth is when wealth has them. That's the problem. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It never said that money was the root of all evil. Are you all with me? Amen? So we need to understand that in the hands of a righteous believer. Did you hear those two words? In the hands of a righteous believer, God can do extraordinary things in this earth with riches. Amen. You know, (laughs) if we had enough money, we could buy out all kinds of things. I mean, we could put the devil out of business. Seriously. But because of this mentality, and we need to really... Well, I'm going to be talking about this as we go through. We, you know, we really need to be careful that we don't get caught up in either one ditch or the other. Okay, there's the prosperity ditch. By the way, it's a ditch, all right? Where it's like, me, 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 me. I want a car, I want a jet, I want a house, well, three houses. I want, you know, this and that and everything else. Yeah, you you selfish thing. I want to use other words, but, you know, I'm on live stream. They were not good words, all right? (laughs) And then you give, you know, you give wealth a bad name in the hands of a believer. So what happens is the other ditch happens. People say, oh, I don't want to be like that, so I'm going to be poor. Poor people can't help anybody. It's really interesting in the book of Acts that they're so thrilled that the believers that had money shared with those that didn't have money. And that was a celebrated thing. Let me ask you a question. If all the believers didn't have any money at all, nobody would have nothing to share with anybody. It'd be a bad situation. Are you all with me? Amen? All right, I need to get back to my message. All (laughs) right. So again, as I said before, God takes a very dim view of wealthy tyrants. Accordingly, there has been much discussion about whether or not the rich mentioned in verse 10 is actually a believer. We're going to start in verse 9, but the reason we need to go to verse 10 is to understand what verse 9 is actually about. Okay, So in his commentary, Douglas J. Moo writes, we argue that this person probably is a Christian. And if so, it shows that James does not identify wealth with wickedness. Mm -hmm. Did you get that? James does not identify wealth with wickedness, nor confine God's people only to the poor. Moving in the same direction is the way in which James justifies his condemnation of the rich in James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Their doom comes because of specific sinful actions. Did you hear that? Their doom comes because of sinful actions, not because they have money, but because of very specific sinful actions. One, number one is hoarding money at the expense of the poor. That's in James 5, verses 2 through 3. Senseless luxury. That's in James 5, 5. Defrauding workers. That's in James 5, 4. And persecuting the righteous. That's in James 5, 6. Did you get all of that? I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> okay? I just want you to know these are bad people. These are Christians that are doing these things. Now, you all understand that nobody's born a Christian. Okay? That's a choice that we all make somewhere down the line. And not everybody makes that decision when they're little. Some people get saved later on, you know, in life. It is obvious that some of these people, not everyone, but some of these people have come to the faith later on in life they have, ha- they have been used to a certain way of thinking they've been used to re- being rich and so on and so forth now they've found the Lord and you know what, they haven't quite given up some of their baggage they haven't quite figured out that what they have now actually belongs to God and if they do the right thing and get involved in God's financial uh, how can I put it what's a good way of putting it system, thank you if, you know, if they, can get, if they get involved in God's financial system, there is something tremendous that will happen. Because they know how to handle wealth, God will bless them in ways that goes beyond what they can ask or think. But they need to let go. It's what Jesus was trying to get the rich young ruler to do. Let go. Are you all with me? And I've found that, you know, we have this habit of when we start getting something, we want to hang on to it. And God says, well, the way you got that was because you let go of something over here. Don't now hang on to this because you're now hanging on to seed. You need to let go of seed. Seed needs to go in the ground, not in your mouth. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so the more you plant, the more you'll begin to reap. But you, of course you need to plant in faith and you need to plant in the right way with love. Okay. All right. Back to this. Now that we understand that both the rich and the poor in verses 9 through 11 are believers, there's one last thing we need to know before we can go look at these verses, and that is the paradoxes they contain. All right, are you all ready? Okay, all right. In his commentary, R. Kent Hughes explains that the scriptures contain many paradoxes telling us that the weak are strong, the empty are full, the slave is free, and that death brings life. All statements which first strike the ear as contradictory, but become increasingly true to us as we meditate on them. G.K. Chesterton gave this magnificent definition of a paradox. I really love this. A paradox is truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. (laughs) I really like that. (laughs) A paradox is truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. He concludes, paradox is a powerful vehicle for truth because it makes people think. So that's what James is going to do. All right? He's going to mess with your head a little bit now. So let's begin reading in James chapter 1 and verse 9. It took a long time to get to a verse, didn't we? All right, there's a lot of foundation we need to lay, okay? Otherwise, you're going to get this wrong. So many people just jump into a verse don't know what the background is, don't know what it's talking about, and then start preaching their doctrine. We need to be careful that we don't do that, family. So, James chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 9 and the first part of verse 10 because there's a paradox in them, okay? So, in verse 9, James says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Notice the lowly and the exalted. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich, I'm going to add the word glory because that's what he's talking about here, but the rich glory in his humiliation. You might go, oh, this doesn't sound good for the rich at all. Just hang on. I have already explained to you what kind of rich person we're talking about. Okay, we're not talking about you. We're talking about all those people that James is going to identify in James chapter 5. All right, as being covetous and hoarding money and senseless luxury and defrauding workers, all that stuff. Okay, all right. So, in other words, the Apostle James says that the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. The paradox of the rich poor. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. The paradox of the poor rich. Okay, you know, we go the poor rich man. You know? <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay, and in the, other, in the other sense, you know, the, poor, the, the rich poor man. We think of those terms. We think of those ways. And James is really challenging us to change our perspective on things. Because what we generally do is we see a poor person and we shun them. We want to do as little as possible, you know, have to do as little as possible with them. Because, you know, I, I don't know what it is, whether we're embarrassed or scared or whatever. Whether it's uncomfortable, I, I don't know, okay? I'm just saying that there is, we, we see a rich person and you're kind of attracted to them. You, you sort of feel like if maybe some money falls, maybe it might hit you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just telling you, okay? It's a funny thing how, you know, if a person's rich, oh, we need to know their name and we need to get to know them really well. Why? What about the person that's not? Okay. We don't want to know their name. Okay, all right, okay. (laughs) Now, let's go back to verse 9. Let's take a closer look at it. Notice that the Apostle James begins by saying, firstly, to the brother in humble circumstances, he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, to help us understand who and what James is referring to here, Douglas Jemu writes, Since the contrast in this text is between humble and rich, verse 10, James is clearly using the word to describe the believer's socioeconomic situation. Are you all with me? I'm sorry, I need to give all this to you before we get to it, all right? All right. If, as we think, the Christian to whom James writes have been forced to leave Jerusalem and establish new homes in Syria and northern Palestine, most of them would be facing tough financial situations as well as social dislocation and even ostracism. So he is remember, I told you, he's writing to two different groups. All right? He's writing to the group that is sitting in front of him in his church, because James is going to be talking about people that are rich. That sit in the front, the poor being sent to the back, all those sort of things. All right, he's gonna be dealing with all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, he is also writing a letter not just to address the church, but also to address all those people that are out there. You know what's interesting is that I'm sure there were some people that were quite wealthy while they were in Jerusalem, but because they had to give everything up and go somewhere else, you know, they might have changed their situation to where they're not so wealthy anymore. And it's almost like James is trying to tell the people in front of him, you might be rich right now, but there are people that were rich like you now that are in a different circumstance. They're in the circumstance of the, the people you're throwing in the back. Those, your friends are now in that position. So think twice before you treat people that way. Because there may be people out there that you knew that were doing really well that aren't doing well now because they've had to leave everything and go because of the persecution, because, you know, maybe their kids were in danger. How many, you know, we've done things for our kids, haven't we? I mean, we just leave all, you know. We we do all sorts of things to protect them, to look after them. And these people, I'm sure, did that. You know, it's one thing to be single and kind of go, yeah, let the Roman army come. It's another thing when you see your little kid there and go, no, let's go somewhere else, man. We need to move to Sparta, <laughs> you know, someplace safe. <laughs> okay, so, but this is what he is talking about. So I really need you to understand and see where he is coming from as well. Because a lot of times we just have a single sort of dimension in how all of this is. But there, is so, there are so many levels to everything that's been written. And if we begin to see this and understand this, then we'll begin to understand that he is trying to get them to identify with people that they might have known that are now in a different socio-economic state. Amen? And whatever judgment that they're putting on people, and however badly that they're treating poor people, that is now some, their friend somewhere in a distant land. And how would they be feeling if you were doing this to them? Things to think about. All right. I lost where I was now. Okay, here we go. Okay. (laughs) So, Ark and Hughes writes he says these brothers were economically low. They were low in the eyes of the world, and no doubt, in most instances, low in their own eyes. Now, that's a key. All right. We were grasshoppers in our own sight. One thing, you know, this is something that uh Vandera brought out before, you know, when she was talking about poverty is a mentality. All right. It's it's something that you know we need to be careful that we don't allow that thing to get in. And you can, you know, you can start out in a place where you're not you're not so great. You can start out in a place where you know you may not have much money or, you know, any kind of, I don't know, maybe not a good job, maybe not a good anything. But that's where you start. That's not where you stay. And don't be proud because you're poor. See, this is something else we need to be really careful because the church has sort of brought this kind of, I don't know, a message that almost makes the poor proud To be poor. And if you're proud to be poor, you are never going to want to get out of that. Are you all with me? Because you just believe that you're in God's perfect will not having anything. Having to beg and have to, you know, get somebody else to feed you. Have you ever thought about that person that needs to feed you? So are they less blessed because they got money that you have food on your table? Because of them? It doesn't work, does it? No. (laughs) Okay? See how this thing is all messed up when you really think about it. Amazes me. It amazes me. How the church preaches against, against prosperity and they have a building. And they have people on staff. And they pay all their workers. Hello? Amazes me. Dude. Anyway, I want to say something, but it won't be kind. All right, moving on. You see it, right? (laughs) Where was I? Okay. (laughs) Their poverty produced a lowliness of mind. But James paradoxically says, such a person ought to take pride in his high position. James' reasoning for this is implicit in the words of this verse, "The, the man is a brother. He is a, now, this is where we're going to get fun, okay? This is, this is where it picks up now, all right? The man is a brother. He is a part of God's family now. One of God's children. In other words, the first thing that needs to happen is for the poor man's image of himself to change. Because as long as he sees himself poor, he will remain that way. However you see yourself, that's how you're going to remain. Regardless of the fact that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says, Listen, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Are we seeing the word poor? We're also going to see poverty in a minute. Mm -hmm. That you through his poverty might become more poor. (laughs) Stay poor. Scrape and and just... (laughs) no." What does that say? That you through his poverty might become rich. Ooh, Isn't that a sin? Well, it better that Paul shouldn't have written it down then. (laughs) Listen, what are we here to do? Be blessed? Or be a blessing? Both. We need to be blessed to be a blessing. And if we are going to have a poverty mentality, then we are... Can I just say this? That is the most selfish thing you can do. Because all you're concerned about is yourself. You don't see the need outside of you. If you were hungry, bless God, you'd find some way of feeding yourself. But if somebody outside of you is hungry, well, you know, whatever. Whatever. Are you all with me? It's time that we went beyond our borders. We went beyond looking after ourselves. And in order to do that, we need the finance and we need uh, the provision to be able to bless someone else. Can I get an amen on this? Please, I, I really need you guys to get this because a lie has been sold to the church and, you know, I just think... Now, let me, let me throw something out at you here. Here's a little something. You know how churches have those charity drives? What happens if a church says, don't worry about a charity drive. We've got enough coming in. We can look after everybody. There are churches that have so much coming in, they can do that, and they still ask for money from outside Because they want to keep everything they've got. I won't mention names. I'm just saying. Listen to me. That's bad. Okay, so we don't want to do that. But (laughs) wouldn't it be wonderful if a church was just looking after the city because its congregation was prospering? Didn't need anything from outside. And you know what? We only invite people from outside to give because they, if they want to join in the blessing. Not because, oh, bless God, you got to help us. Because if you don't help us, we're going down. Oh, for God's sake, hurry up and go down. You are just making too much of a racket. This is very bad advertising. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, you know you know what I'm trying to say. Listen, man. You know, this—the church was meant to be the place where believers, believers believed and received, not only for themselves but for everything that was needed outside around them to look after their community. And it wasn't enough to look after a hundred people. It wasn't enough to look after a thousand. If there was one hundred and fifty thousand, we want enough to look after every single one of them. And not to keep them poor and dependent on us, but so that we can get them on their feet, teach them the gospel, and let them become a blessing to others. Amen. 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 But in order to do that, we need to learn how that thing works so that we can share that information. You know, if you feed a person and then teach them something, they'll listen because now they're full and they're happy. You try to teach them when they're hungry, forget about it. (laughs) They're not listening. Because their stomach is talking so loud. <laughs> Have you all had that happen? It's embarrassing, isn't it? Get a little hungry and you're going, shut up, shut up, don't make so much noise. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Just being real here. <laughs> In his commentary, Arkham Hughes writes, if this man, includes women, okay, could but grab the stupendous realities and hang on, he, would, he or she would realize his incredible height, the low are truly high. Added to this, even Simon J. Kisimaki in his commentary writes, he sees himself, or should see himself, as a child of the king, a son or daughter of God, as a member of God's royal family. The brother or the brother or sister order take pride in his new spiritual family tree. See, this is I told you we had to change our mentality. You've got to stop looking at yourself as, well, my parents are poor and my grandparents are poor and I'm going to be poor and my kids are going to be poor. Don't do that, man. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of this, so you can get out and not just to get out and be rich and live in comfort and snub your nose at everybody else. But so that you can bless those that, you know, people you knew along the way, people you knew were in need. Especially if you were there. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I, know I was having this thought and I thought, this is an incredible thought. <laughs> you know, I just thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody that was down and out found out about their God saved, found out about their spiritual heritage and believed God for everything. And boy, I tell you, they just started climbing that economic ladder and then went back and pulled everybody else up that they were in the trash heap with. And said, why don't you come and work in my company? Let me show you how this works. Let me give you a job. Amen. Isn't that a much better end? Then we got to keep feeding him. And you know, leave him in their poverty. Are you all here? Do you see the bigger picture here? See, the religious mind, the church has had this view of, oh, it's only about money. And if you have too much money, then you're in trouble. And there's something sinful about it. I don't know what, but there is. And that's all they see. It's this kind of like, you know, narrow vision. They don't see all the doors that begin to open. They don't see all the people that can be helped. They don't see what God can do through them. Are you all with me? Because, sadly... On one hand the churches preach we're not meant to be you know we're not meant to be prosperous cuz they preach money is the root of all evil not the love of money just money is and on the other side you know there's the other the other group that says let's get all the money and spend it on ourselves and say see if I can be rich you can be rich but i ain't give you any mind you better get rich on your own look at this forget about it I'm doing this because there's been so much confusion in the body. We have not known what to believe. We see something and we're confused by it. You know, we see somebody that is in the ministry that may be using their wealth in not the best way. And we question that. Then we see somebody preaching over here that's saying, you know, wealth is not a good thing. Because look at that brother. I mean, look at the way they're living. That's not right. And we think, oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that, so let's all go over here and get poor. And then we think, well, this is not working because we couldn't pay our electricity bill last week. So I don't know what to do about this. Maybe I'll just get out of the church and be normal. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, man. Or I could go to full life. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> come to full life. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, amen. <laughs> I'm serious. This is the problem we've been having. There's been so much confusion everywhere. And we don't know how to exercise our faith. And we don't know how to love God. Because we're concerned that if we have too much money, we, can't, we won't love Him. No, listen to me. Love God. Allow Him to bless you so that He can then direct your paths. And so that you can be a blessing and you can be the hand of God and you can be the mouth of God and you can be the provision of God to someone. And do it without being seen. I'm going to say it again. Do it without being seen. Boy, we need to learn how to just do that. We so want to get, we, we want the adoration. We want to get blessed. We want to say, oh, now see, brother, I'm giving you this. You know what? If you're doing that, keep it. there have been people that have sort of come that way, and I've said, no thanks. I think they all went somewhere else. I won't say where. Because they're not going to let, I will not let money determine where this church goes. And Mr. Moneybags Tell us what we should and shouldn't do. No. God tells us. If you can't give anonymously, if you can't give in the way that Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, take it somewhere else. But it's a million bucks. Yeah, but it's got so many strings attached to it. One of us is going to hang, die, and suffocate with it. Amen? No. No. See, this is what, these are the rich people James is talking about. These are the ones, and we're going to talk about this, he's saying, you need to be humble. You need to learn to give without getting any glory. Amen. Because that's where you're going to get exalted. When you give quietly and nobody knows and nobody sees. And then God will bless you. Amen. That's what we have never taught. Character with prosperity. Amen? I have run out of time, apparently. But I haven't got anywhere. Uh, Of course, it's going to be part two next week. Part three, I don't know. Yeah, 17, 25. Um, Are are you getting something out of this? This is a very difficult thing. Like I said, I almost wasn't going to preach on it, but... You know, I think it's time that we we, we did this. <sighs> Can we leave it here? I, is that okay? I, if I start this next section, I won't shut up. <laughs> there, he goes, well, that never ends. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I wanna, we will be going on to Romans chapter 8 and looking at some verses there. and I, I want to show you the right view. I want to show you what should have been ministered right from the beginning. Amen. Let's do it right. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you, Father, that in this journey, the Holy Spirit ministers to us, speaks to our hearts, changes our thinking. Gets rid of things that have been demonically placed in there that we didn't even know was coming from the pit of hell. And stopped us from being the blessings you needed us to be in this earth. And Father, that we learn how to use our faith to bring in all the finances that not only we need, but people around us need. That we can truly show them in practical ways. Because James is all about practicality in practical ways so that we don't say, be warm, be filled, and give them nothing. In practical ways that we can show that God loves them. Through food and all kinds of other things. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.